Thank you for listening to the sermon audio podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now here's a message from our senior pastor, Brian Bond. All right, good morning. Well, um, I'm going to start out with some words of my mom's that she would tell me at different times. In case y'all hadn't noticed, we got some new furniture. Don't be spilling nothing on our new furniture. All right. (laughs) Um, We did get some new chairs, and I appreciated those that came and helped us move those in. And for you that sit over on this side every single week, you probably don't realize, but we actually have new carpet over on this side of the sanctuary. You know, y'all can move around a little bit. How many of y'all even knew we had new carpet or noticed it? Anybody? Wow, not very many. Okay. Well, the reason why we have just a touch over half of the sanctuary that is in new carpet is that after they started installing, we realized it was not the right color. And so after three weeks of going back and forth, the manufacturer took full responsibility and said that this carpet is wrong. So next, this coming week, they're going to come and finish the rest of this with this new carpet, and then they're going to rerun our carpet the way it's supposed to be, and we'll have that in a couple months. So we don't really care what you spill on the floor in the next couple months. Just don't get it on the new furniture, all right? But anyway, um, so we're appreciative of that. And then hopefully, you know, it'll all be, um, it'll all look good, better next week. And then after that, um, it'll be sometime in January or February where they're, uh, you have to custom order it and they have to run it. So it'll be a little while, but um, we will get that straight. So hope you like the new chairs. I thought they were really comfortable, so that not so comfortable you should fall asleep. I specified that, but anyway. Um, some people say, man, we ought to have them recline. I'm like, no, I'd look out there in the whole room and be... <laughs> so I ain't having that, but anyway. Um, we are finishing our series on uneasy, and the next two weeks, I'm going to preach on Christmas. So, uh, but this week we're talking about uneasy. Um, you know, we all have, can look back at moments in our lives that maybe at the time we didn't realize it was as big a moment as it was. And now looking back, you're like, man, you know what? That, that was, I, I thought it was kind of a big deal, but I had no idea that was that big a deal. And there's some things we can look back and say, man, I thought that was going to be a big deal. It didn't turn out to be anything. But we have all kinds of different moments in our life. And I, I want us to look today at a, a guy in Scripture and an opportunity that he had or what was a big moment in his life and I want us to think about those moments in our lives. You know, the, the greatest moment and most important moment in your life is when you come to know Jesus. But then there's one that's like right after that, and we're going to talk about that today. But in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22, um, we're going to be in this chapter of Mark for the whole time, and we will look at some other verses. But um, we're talking today about a guy, this, this story is in three of the Gospels. And in some, he's called a rich young ruler. In this one, he's called um, just a, a young man. And the, the interesting thing about him is, is that he's the only one that left Jesus in worse condition than he came to him in. Everybody else that, that came to him um, left better and, and left in a better spot. But he left in a worse spot. And it's because he missed his moment. He had a moment. He had an opportunity. He had a choice and he missed it. And that's what we're going to look at today, is this young man and how this story can relate to each of us. So if you would please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word, 
Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, a couple of things I want us to see from this is this guy came. He was not trying to trap Jesus. He wasn't trying to trick him. He wasn't trying to get him to say something. He genuinely wanted to know. And there were several things that kind of showed that he was sincere in coming to Jesus. Number one, he ran to him. And that was not something that a Middle Eastern man did. It, it was considered to be undignified to run or to run after someone. And this guy comes running up. Jesus is already on his way. He comes running. And then what does he do? He kneels down. And that's a sign of submission, a sign of recognition of authority, a recognition of someone that was greater than himself. It wasn't something that a Jew would do. And that, that was a problem that believers had. You know, there was a, a, a saying that was going around in Rome after you became a believer. And during that time, that someone would come up and they would say, Caesar is Lord. And the other person would, would reply, Caesar is Lord. Well, a Christian automatically had a problem because his, his new faith told him that Jesus is Lord. And so there was a, a conflict. But this guy came and knelt before Jesus. And then he says, good teacher. And that was something that a Jew wouldn't do normally, was to call someone good. Because good was reserved for God. So in some sense, this guy had faith. Now this guy knew that, that Jesus was from God. He knew that he was greater than him. And he knew that he had answers about eternal life. You know, at one point when Jesus looked around at his disciples and he said, hey, others have deserted me. Are you going to? And Peter said, no one else has words of eternal life. Where would we go? And so somehow or another, this guy knew that Jesus had words of eternal life. And so he comes to him and he tells him, well, you got to obey the commandments. Now, whether or not he had really obeyed them, or maybe Jesus picked some of the ones that he knew he had failed at or not, but the first failure the young man had was he failed to admit that he was a sinner. He said, oh yeah, I've done all that. I've followed these commandments. And you know what? Jesus didn't treat him harshly. He didn't look at him like, ah, you big liar. The Bible says when he looked at him, he looked at him with a sincere love. He looked at him with compassion. And he gives him an opportunity. And here's the opportunity. Here's the chance that he gives him. He says, look, he said, there's still one thing you haven't done. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven then. Come follow me. Now, there's an element here where 
This isn't a universal thing. It's not something that's required for salvation. Jesus didn't tell anybody else that. He didn't tell anybody else, you got to go sell everything you have and come follow me. But this guy, he gave him an opportunity. And somehow, as Jesus was still God in the flesh, he went straight to the heart of what he knew was holding this guy back. And God will do that to each one of us someday too. He's going to come to us and he's going to point or he's going to push or he's going to prod or he's going to poke the one area, the one thing that we, we most want to hold on to, the thing we don't want to give up. And you know what? This guy walked away and his face fell because he was sincere. But Jesus, he, he probably would have done anything else. But he asked him the one thing that he wasn't willing to do, and he walked away. You know, salvation's free, it's a gift. There's a cost in following Jesus. And sometimes we, and we should, this, this Christmas season, we celebrate and we remember that Jesus came as a gift to all mankind. That's why we give gifts to one another. It's a reminder of the gift that we were given. Now, it's easy to forget that. It's we're making our wish lists and, you know, we're, we're spending money and doing all these things and did I get enough for them? And, you know, there's always that worry. Are they going to spend more money on us than we spend on them? Or, you know, we, you want to make sure it's right. And so we worry about all these things. But ultimately, the, the whole thing about giving a gift was to remind one another of the gift that we've been given. And that gift is Jesus. And you might think that, you know, there, there's things about this passage that do make me a little uneasy. I'm like, why would, why would Jesus ask him to sell everything he had? And when he said, when he just walked away, why didn't Jesus say, hey, hold on. Let's talk about this. But he didn't say anything. He let him walk away. You know, here's the thing. God will call you into things. And he'll give you opportunities, but he's never going to force you. He doesn't force you to come to him and confess your sins and find forgiveness for your sins. And he's not going to force you after that to follow any opportunity. That's a choice we have to make. And it comes with a cost. You know, the cost of following Jesus, he was pretty clear about. In Luke chapter 14, a large crowd was following Jesus. And you know what? Jesus kind of had this, this habit. And if you were there and you were like trying to help him or, or you were like his PR guy or whatever, you'd go, Jesus, why do you say these things? Because here's this large crowd, and instead of going, man, I'm, I'm going to see if I can get a bigger crowd, Jesus turns around to this crowd and he says to them, hey, if you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison hate everyone else. Your father and mother, your wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life, otherwise you cannot be my disciple. Now that's not a, a, a speech on how to increase your crowd and win friends and influence people, is it? But it's truth. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. And you know what happened whenever Jesus would turn around and give them some of these hard sayings? Guess what? The ones that really weren't serious or weren't willing 
fell to the side, fell away. And I've, there are a lot of people that are believers that, that came to Christ for salvation, but when Jesus offered them something more, when he gave them an opportunity to live a life that was extraordinary or beyond what they could believe, or the life that he's promised, they just said no. Because they couldn't see past what they had. You know, I've had some amazing moments in my life. You know, when, when we had the opportunity to adopt Taylor, you know, I've told many of you, I've told you this story many times before. You know, we, we sat down with a friend of ours who was a pediatrician, and he went through every possible difficulty that we could face with his development, with his health, all these different things. And you know what? There was a point where I wanted to just go, you know what? Let's just move on. But as we prayed about it, we knew God was calling us, that God said, yes, adopt this child. And when we got down there, one of the things that I asked, there was an attorney and he was a Christian that was working with the birth mother to place him. <clears throat> and he told us there were, I don't care, I can tell you the exact number, but there were numerous couples that had been presented the opportunity and said no. And I said, why did all these couples say no? And he said, and it stuck with me ever since then, he said, because it just doesn't fit the family picture that they have in their mind about what family's going to look like. And they can't get past that. And you know what? That's one of the biggest obstacles for us is the picture that we have about what life is going to be like. You know, when we're young, all right, maybe we get married and, and we picture our, in our mind, all right, here's my wife and here's, you know, our 2.3 kids and the little golden labradoodle thingamajiggy, whatever the, the most recent fad dog is, whatever. That's what, that's what it's going to look like. And it's going to be in front of this kind of house. And I'm going to be living this kind of life. And I'm going to be doing these kind of things. And anything else, that get, when God comes up and says, hey, I want you to give all that up. That picture that you have of what you thought everything was going to be like, we can't do it. Or we won't do it. And we forget. All we see is what it can cost us. But that's what I want. In John 10.10, 10, it says the thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and to destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life or life in abundance. And you know what? When we see God saying, hey, I want you to give this up, you can't understand why. And we can't see beyond it. And so we can't let go of it. And that's why, you know, we, we think that this next passage, the next things Jesus says to the apostles is about money, but it's not really about money. Jesus looked around after the guy walked off and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And this amazed them. You want to know why it amazed them? Because they saw and they were taught 
that people that were rich were extra blessed of God. And people who had that life that everybody else wanted couldn't see giving it up. And sometimes we even now look around and we're like, we're, we're reluctant to follow God because we're afraid he's going to ask us to give up something that we don't think we can give up. You want me to give up my career, my, my, what I've planned, what I've worked for, to go do something else? I can't, uh-uh, I can't do that. You want me to give this up? I, this is what I've always dreamed of. I can't give that up. And we can't see beyond it. And so instead of trusting God, we trust what we've got. And you know what we look at? We look around and we think, oh man, they've been really blessed. And maybe we're not quite coveting, but we're close. God, why can't you bless me like that? God, this is what I want. And you know what? Here's the deal. We miss out on what God wants to give us that might even be better. You know, now I, I can't imagine life without Taylor. I can't imagine how different my life would be if we'd made a different choice in that moment just because it didn't kind of fit with what we thought things were going to look like. But I wouldn't trade it for anything. I wouldn't trade any of the moments that we've had. You know, we went down there to Jacksonville, Florida. And they put this baby in, in our arms. And now all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I'm a dad. See, some of y'all get months to prepare for that. I got like a day or two. I mean, I just mind my own business. And then the next day I got, a, I got a baby in my arms. I'm like, what just happened here? And so let me tell you what we did that night. We went down to Babies R Us and we started, well, we're going to need this. I mean, we had nothing, nothing. And dude, we made them cards saying, getting all this baby stuff that, and I was just kind of in shock. I was like, oh my gosh, this costs a lot of money. <laughs> because, you know, normally you kind of stockpile a little bit. We did it all at once. Babies, you know, car seat, diapers, clothes, everything right then. Bottles, all, the whole, everything. And I, but, it, but it was something that I've, I can remember when we, when we went home and took him home from the hospital. In a, in, a, in a hotel room the first night and just, just being in awe. And I wouldn't trade that moment for anything. The second thing is sometimes it's hard to let go of what we have, but it's also hard to let go of what we want. Matthew 13, 22 says the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. So no food, fruit is produced. See, we're like, well, I'd follow God, but well, who would take care of this? And then it's not the things that we have that we're having to give up, but it's everything we thought we were going to have. It's the life we planned. 
It's what we thought it was going to look like. It's hard to let go of it. Those are the obstacles. Those are the things sometimes standing in, in the way of that abundant life that God wants us to have. It's fear a lot of times. And so, we have a hard time letting go of it. We have a hard time letting go of what we have. Well, what if God asked me to get rid of this, let go of this? I don't think I can do that. What if the plan he has wouldn't lead me to where I've, I've been directed towards, that I've been pushing towards, that I, that I have envisioned for what it's going to look like? What if it leads me in a different direction? I'm going to tell you right now, my life didn't end up any way what I thought it was going to growing up. If I had a top 10 list of things that I thought I might do, being a pastor was not in the top 10. As a matter of fact, it wouldn't have made the top 20 probably. It wasn't even on my radar. I mean, it wasn't that I despised it or that I didn't like it or that I was like, I'm not, it was just that it never even occurred to me that that might be something I would end up doing. And so I had all these plans. You know, I was, my first semester, you know, I left it because I didn't know what to change it to. But when, you know, when I went to state, at my freshman year, I was a pre-law major. <laughs> Which my wife says I'm an amateur lawyer because I like to argue a lot. But anyway, I don't deny this. But that, that's what I thought. And then there were other, well, you know, maybe this or this, but what I ended up doing wasn't anything like that. But I started struggling with it, and it was just like a, you know, here's the thing. When you're trying to do something, and you're trying to do it, and it's not God leading you, it's a fight. And it's, a, it's not a fight. There's fights that you have when you're, when you're following God that are, I'm not saying they're easy, but the difference is when you're fighting what comes with trying to follow God, God's fighting for you. But when you're fighting against God and against all the, the obstacles, dude, it'll wear you plumb smooth out. And there, there was a night when I went out on a hillside by myself and I'd been struggling with God and I didn't know. I mean, it, I was worn out from struggling. Everything I was pushing for wasn't happening. It, caused, it was turmoil. I was in a bad mood most of the time. Felt like. And on that hill that night, I just said, you know what, God? I give up. I'll let all that go. I will be whatever you want me to be. I had no idea what it was going to be. I said, God, if you want me to go into the jungle which if you know how much I hate humidity, you, you would. If you want me to go be a missionary somewhere, that's what I'll do. If you want me to go dig ditches, I'll do that. God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And you know what? As, as awesome as the moment when I came to know Christ and my sins were forgiven, that one was right behind it because it was almost as big a burden lifted off of me in that moment not as, because, man, you, the burden of your sins is huge. You know that. But I was seven at the time. But the burden of trying to figure out all this stuff on my own and just say, all right, God, whatever you want. 
Let me tell you something, that was the second greatest moment of my life. Right behind being saved. Well, what about the moment you got married? Man, that was an awesome moment. It was. I can remember still the, the back of the doors of the church opening up and her walking in there and me going, man, I cannot believe she actually showed up to marry me. <laughs> I mean, it was amazing. Having Taylor in our arms the first time. When our, you know, all of our kids, none of them happened by accident. They were all, all required a conscious decision on our part. I wouldn't trade any of those moments. But you know what? Here's, here's the thing about all those moments. That moment I, I came, you know, I, I met my wife. She agreed to marry me. We got married. The moment when we came to this church here, the, the moments of, with our children, and all the moments since then, here's something that is absolutely undeniable. Without that moment on the hill that night, none of those other moments would have happened. You want to know why? Because the, the only reason I met Carrie is because God sent me to go to Oklahoma. Nothing against Okies, but I did not want to go. It was in a little town that ain't on the way to anywhere. I was living in Austin at the time, which was where the cool kids lived back in the, back in the day. I didn't want to go to Hootenanny, Oklahoma. Trust me. And then once I agreed to go, I found out I was taking a 40% pay cut to go up there. And I'm like, God, are you sure? Okay. But here's the deal. Because I had made that decision already, that God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I went to Oklahoma because I knew God was saying, go here. And I'm like, God, I'm living in this great city. Why would I? But if that's where you want me to go, I'll go. Because I said it years ago, I'd go wherever you want me to go. And that's where I met my wife. Every single major decision that we made, there were certain factors that would have said, don't do this that did say don't do this. But ultimately, the reason why we made every decision that we made was because God said, this is what I want you to do. And because I had made that decision years ago, we did every single one of them. And see, that decision led to all these other moments that I never would have found on my own, that I never would have dreamed of on my own and that were better than anything that I had imagined before I gave that up to him. You see, he didn't come because he's like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, y'all got, you think you got a good life? I'm fitting to mess that up. He came down here to give us life that was abundant. More than. And here's the other part. Even the things we give up are going to be restored. Same passage. Then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who's given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times 
as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, along with persecution. He said, look, you're going to be persecuted. It's going to be difficult. There are going to be hardships. But I'm going to restore everything. You see, that's what Jesus does. We may, we may give up some things here on this earth, but Jesus promises to restore. Acts 3.21, for he must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. See, the, the things we lose here on this earth, we didn't lose them. They're going to be restored. The people that we've lost, that know Jesus. We didn't lose them. They're going to be restored. The relationships that we've lost are going to be restored. Whatever was taken is going to be given back. And it's going to be perfect. It may not happen on this side of heaven, but it's going to happen. The man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Man, he walked away from the most important moments of his life, right then and right there. And you know what? Some of you, you may have, particularly those of you who were saved maybe older at an older age than I was, you may have made both those decisions at the same time. And that's one of the reasons why we, we do that part and why God requires it for salvation. We talk about Romans 10, 9, and 10 that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You know what? A lot of us, we, we got saved. We recognized about our sin. And yeah, we, we said, okay, Jesus, you're the boss. But we didn't really understand what all that meant. But you see, there's going to come a time, and there, there may have been that already, where Jesus is going to come and say, right, how about that? You going to give that up? You going to give that to me? Because that's what he does. You want to know why? Because he loves us. And he knows that anything that we love so much that we would put it in front of him will ultimately destroy us. Now, just because we give it to him doesn't mean, he may give it right back to us. Hey, what you were doing, you gave that to me. I want you to keep doing it. I just want you to do it for a different reason now. I want you to do it to glorify me and to further the kingdom. I want you to use that to tell people about Jesus, to be an influence in their lives. Sometimes that's how it works. And sometimes, you know what? God says, yep, I, I want that. Because I got something else for you. And it's something that hadn't even entered your mind. But it's going to be better. And once you get into it, you're going to go, man, this is way better than what I planned. My life has been, up to this point, way better than I would have planned when I was young. Way better. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. So that's why that, that moment is the second most important moment in my life. It led to all the others. Well, some of you, I, I know I can hear you now. I, you know, I, I'm just at that spot. I can't, 
you know, I'm, I'm stuck. I mean, this is where I am. Can't change. Beyond my control. I mean, I've been doing this too long. Or I've got this, I got too much invested. Or there's too many people to pin, whatever it is. But I want to read you a verse from Jeremiah 29. And this is a verse that was given by God to a people that at the moment were slaves. They were captives. They were trapped. They couldn't get out. And God's given them warning. You need to be ready. Because I'm coming to release you. I'm coming to free you. And he says in Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster. Give you a future and a hope. You see, sometimes when God comes and says, hey, that right there, I want you to give it to me, it feels disastrous, doesn't it? But his plans are not for disaster. They're to give us a future and a hope. It may be one that we can't see. It may be a future we can't envision, but it's a future nonetheless. And it's a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. But there's a caveat to that. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. If you follow with all your heart, you'll find me. But you know what? There's some of us here, you, you're, yeah, I'm following Jesus. But it's with about half your heart, 60% or whatever. Because as long as you've got in the back of your mind, Lord, I'll do anything except that. I'll do anything, Lord, but don't ask me to do that. God, I, I do, I, I'll go wherever you want me to, but don't ask me to leave this. God, don't ask me to give that up. Because I, I ain't giving that up. Then you're not following him with your whole heart. You're not seeking him with everything you are. And you know what? thing about it is that young man who, who walked away, he had no idea what Jesus was going to plan to do with him. He invited him to come and follow him, to be with him. He didn't do that to everybody. Matter of fact, a lot of them, he said, okay, I want, now, yeah, there's the following, which is living a way that's pleasing to him, living in a relationship with him. But he specifically told us, go get rid of all that stuff and then come and follow me. He said, come to me. He didn't make that invitation to everybody. It was rather extraordinary. And when Jesus comes to you and says, hey, there's this thing. I want you to give it up. And then I want you to come and I want you to seek me. He doesn't make any promises. He doesn't say, hey, it's going to be way better. He wants you to be obedient. And what comes after is up to you. He didn't beg him. He didn't try to convince him. He didn't try to talk him into it. He didn't try to sell him on it. He's God. He ain't going to beg. But what he, is, what he will do is give you an opportunity. Give you a chance. He'll lay something in front of you. 
But first he's going to say, go, go get rid of that and then come back. Are you willing to lay that down? Then come see. The biggest obstacles to God's blessings in our life are, are a lot of times the things we already have we can't let go of. Or the things that we've envisioned in our mind of what our life's going to look like or what we can do and who we are and what we're, what we're about. That He wants to show us there's more. There's more. But you got to be wholehearted. you got to have an undivided heart. And you know what? There's, there's, some of us are in different spots. We are. Some of us are in that spot where we're like, you know, I want to follow God. I don't know. Is there something that I'm holding on to? You just need to say, God, is there anything, any way in me that doesn't please you? Is there anything that I can't let go of? Show me. Some of you, you need to get some time by yourself. And when... I'm not trying to talk you into it. I ain't going to ask you about it. I'm not going to try to create a moment. But you know what? Maybe you know it's time. And maybe you're tired of fighting. Maybe you're tired of fighting with God and what's going on, and you're ready to say, God, whatever you want, I'll do it. Whatever you want to lead me to. I don't care if it makes me uncomfortable. I don't care if it's not what I pictured. I don't care if I think I can do it. I'll do it. Because I want to seek you with all my heart. And I want to see that kind of life. He went home, probably lived a quiet life. But those disciples now, they saw some things. They saw the blind healed, the lame walk, the dead rise again. They saw Jesus crucified on a cross. And they saw him risen from the grave. They saw the Holy Spirit come down. They spoke in front of thousands of people and saw thousands of people come to know Christ in one day. They saw miracles of healings. They saw people converted and lives changed. And their names became legendary throughout centuries and millennia. They lived a life that turned the world upside down. Who knows what God may offer you? It's your choice. Are you going to grab the moment are you going to turn away? Because it just it, it costs a little too much. It's up to you. It all begins with a relationship with Christ. And if you hadn't had that moment, that one's first. So I'm going to ask that everyone would bow your heads, close your eyes, please. And here's the thing. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, the greatest moment of your life is that moment when you realize that your sins are forgiven. 
It comes when we understand three things. Number one, we're all sinners. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we recognize that it is only through God's grace, by faith, can we be forgiven of our sins. Second thing is you've got to believe in Jesus. Jesus wasn't just some guy. He was God in the flesh. He lived on this earth without sin and died on the cross. And if he'd had even one sin, his sacrifice wouldn't have, wouldn't have paid the, the price that I owed for my sin. But because he was perfect, because he was God's son, his death on the cross covered my sins and yours if you believe him in faith. So you got to believe in Jesus. And then the third thing, you got to confess him as Lord. And I understand, you, you may not understand completely what that means. I don't know that any of us really do when we come to that, but you got to make that confession. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you'd like to do that today, I'd love to lead you in a prayer of salvation. You can repeat this after me. Just pray it in your heart. God will hear you. Or you can pray it in your own words. Pray it with me now. Dear God, thank you for loving me. And thank you for sending Jesus. I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he died on the cross for my sin. And I believe he rose on the third day according to scripture. So today, I trust Jesus as my savior and I confess him as my Lord. Now, if you prayed that prayer today, here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. You don't have to stand up. I'm not gonna ask you to say anything in front of people. All I want you to do is if you prayed it and you meant it, I want you to look up at me right now and keep looking until I see you. So look up right now. You prayed that prayer, okay? All right, okay? Okay. So I wanna pray for you and I also wanna pray that the rest of us would look in our hearts and see is there something that I'm holding on to that's keeping me from being wholehearted as I seek God. At least be honest with yourself. At least this guy was honest. He didn't pretend. He walked away. He knew. So be truthful. With yourself, you don't have to be truthful with anybody else here. But you and God need to know. So I want to pray for you too. I want to encourage anyone that made that decision to trust Christ to tell someone. There's a couple ways you can let one of us know. There's a number on the screen. You can text SAVED to that number. And we'd love to set up a time to talk to you on the phone or in person and answer any questions, and also talk to you about the next steps in following Jesus. We don't want anything from you. We're not going to ask you for anything. We just want to help you. 
So I want to pray for those that made that decision to trust Jesus and for the rest of us as well. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your goodness, for your love. Father, thank you for Jesus. And thank you, Lord, that you have a future and a hope for us. Father, may we seek you with all of our heart. Father, I pray for those that came to a knowledge of Jesus today. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to them throughout the day. That, Father, they would know the joy of forgiveness of all their sins. And, Father, I pray you'd help them to find the right church, whether it's here or somewhere else, that they can grow in their walk and their love with you. And Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the ways you speak to us and teach us and that you love us, God, no matter what. Father, we pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.